Well, hey, church. How are you today? Oh, wow. Uh, lethargic, I see. Uh, let me try to wake you up a little bit. My name is Nate Gagney. Okay, that didn't work. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration Church, and I'm glad that you're here. We're starting a new series today called Predictive Text, and uh, a couple of things, all right? So one, right off the bat, we have, and you may not know it yet in the back, but we've got a number for you to be able to text in questions. So um, at all our locations, if you text to the number 9700 with the word, keyword behind the sermon, uh, any questions on what we talk about today, questions even unrelated to what we're talking about today, I'll try to answer some of those questions in the following week's messages. We'll also end up diving into someone on the Behind the Sermon podcast, because what we're about to talk about over these next three weeks is probably is one of the most uh, complicated, it feels complicated, uh, confusing p- portions of scripture or, or passages, multiple passages. It is something about in our walk with Jesus that there are more questions than there are answers. And if someone seems to have all of the answers, you should be questioning them. All right? It's something that there's just so much behind this. There's no way we cover it all in the next three weeks. So what we're talking about in this series, Predictive Text, we're looking at the parts of the Bible that speak toward history that hasn't happened yet. They're parts of the Bible that are speaking toward the future. Now, the Bible as a whole, one-third of it is prophetic in nature. One-third of it was written talking about future events. Now, many of those things have happened. So there are uh, Isaiah 53, for example, talks about the future Messiah, and that has happened. Jesus has come. But there are passages written in Daniel, passages in Ezekiel, passages in the book of Revelation that have not happened yet. So we are still waiting for those things to happen. And this creates a lot of questions. And if you've gone to church for a long time like I have, you've heard different theories and different uh, messages over your lifetime, and none of those things seem to have happened. So if you've got questions about those things, we encourage you to text in. And that's going to be up here most of the sermon. If I don't know if in the back, if you have any ability to make that bigger, because I just don't know if uh, it's visible to our other locations, Milton and Plymouth. Could you guys put your hands together for them? We are glad that we all get to be here together today. Now, The world that we are living in is, uh, you know, there is a lot more going on than we realize. There's a lot more happening that shows us we could be living in a season in which Jesus will return again. We could be in that season. A couple of years ago, when everything was going on with the pandemic, there was, a, there was a bunch of things happening. And as a pastor, 
people from the church would often ask, Pastor, is this it? Is this the end? Is, you know, is this the, uh, you know, are all these things happening? What do I do? I'm afraid. And, and I, you know, as I communicated, I probably communicated on a Sunday morning, but definitely in one-on-one conversations, that I just don't think these things are the things the Bible is talking about, but they certainly show us how it can happen and how it will all work out. They show us how, um, how governments can take power. They show us how the world can rally around a single thing. They show us how one neighbor could turn in another neighbor. If you remember back to that first Thanksgiving where they were encouraging people to call the cops on neighbors who were gathering with their family that first Thanksgiving. You begin to see how things could begin to happen and transpire. One thing I said in conversation at that time is, I don't think so. I, I think there's still some things to happen. But all that being said is, while as the world is right now in 2020 and 2021, it would not surprise me in one minute that if we turn on the news today, we find out that, that, uh, nation of, that the Jewish people are performing a sacrifice on the Temple Rock, and we are good to go. And some of that means nothing to you, but as we go through this series, we'll talk about it, the things that we need to look for, and the things that we need to be aware of. Predictive text. Today, you know, one of the things I want to touch on is this kind of this important idea. We don't know what we don't know. There are a lot of things about what's to happen, what is to come, that we don't know fully what's going to happen. And we're looking at scholars and theologians, and we're studying it as the body of Christ. We're even studying some of these things which, with the Jewish faith to get an understanding of what is to happen. But there is much more that we don't know than we do know. And even within this framework of future events, there are many, many different theological positions. So we're not here really to, to um, convince you of a certain theological position. What we're trying to do is open scripture and understand what's going on. Now, let's take a current event. And just to let you kind of get an idea of, of one of, the, one of the, the wild things happening in the world right now, and, uh, and just this understanding of we probably, there's much more going on than we even realize. September 27th, that's not very long, not very long ago, September 27th of 2022, just a few days ago. A U.S. Coast Guard vessel was, was doing a routine patrol in the Bering Sea off the coast of Alaska, and they made an interesting discovery as they discovered a Chinese guided missile cruiser in, off the shore of our coast. What was even more surprising is that they shortly discovered that Chinese missile cruiser was in a in formation with Russian warships. 
So off the coast of our shores, Russia and China, are, are, they're performing joint military exercises. It's pretty interesting if you begin to, as some speculate, Russia being a huge, important player in the, uh, in the sequence of events that will happen in the end times, and you look at those two people who are certainly venomous toward the West, making an alliance together for their benefit. And we just happened. It's ongoing. What does it mean for all of us? What does it mean for us as Christians? What does it mean for the world? Let me go through it. I need to give some definitions because even in this three-minute introduction, I'm having a hard time trying to talk to you without using a bunch of language that is going to make no sense to uh, many of you in the room. So we're going to go through a series of definitions uh, to help us to get on the same page. So you may want to write these down uh, and uh, to the best of your ability. First definition is for the word eschatology. And you'll hear this used a lot. I, may, I, I will try... Not to use it next week, uh, because I don't have to go through all these definitions every week, um, but I may use it on accident. So eschatology, what does this mean? This is the study of what will happen in the end times. Eschatology is the study from the Bible of what will happen in the end times. Now, I said end times. Now I have to define that. What are the end times? The end times are the period of future history, which we could be in now, the period of future history that leads up to the final judgment. Eschatology, study of the end times, end times, the period leading up to the final judgment. We probably now need to define the final judgment. What is the final judgment? Without going and taking too long, the final judgment, there are Two judgments found in Scripture. One is the judgment seat of Christ, which is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And this is the judgment for those who follow Jesus. This is the award ceremony. This is where Jesus is handing out crowns and handing out gifts uh, based on our obedience to him here on earth. There's a second judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment. This is found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And this is the judgment for those who rejected Jesus. This judgment is before what John wrote. Um, this judgment leads to the second death, which is the... Uh, which if you've ever heard about the lake of fire, if you've ever heard that talked about in church or in pop culture, the great white throne judgment is the final judgment for those who don't believe, which then leads to that second death. Now, I want to give you three more quick definitions 
because they, you may have questions about those that you want to text in. Um, and so, and they are words that are often used in these conversations. So three more words. One is the word rapture. This word isn't found in Scripture, but it's used to describe something found in Scripture. So the rapture is an end-time event when all Christian believers who are alive, so that's most of us here in the room, along with resurrected believers, will rise in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, as is described in the book of um, uh, Revelation and in Thessalonians. Another word here is tribulation, and I apologize for all the definitions, but after this, I want to make sure we can roll the tribulation. This is the final seven years of the end times. So the end times could be a period of a hundred years. It, we're, we're not entirely sure, but that final seven years is called the tribulation, and these are the final seven years before Jesus sets up an earthly kingdom. And then lastly, the last word here, or is uh, last two words, the second coming. This is the future moment when Jesus will step foot on earth again. He came once, he left alive, he will return again. Now listen, there are many beliefs, opinions, and theories in regard to eschatology, but I want to remind you, we don't know what we don't know. And, and, and the one thing that I'm confident of, no matter what your position is, we are all wrong. We, we are doing our best to understand what Jesus has, has laid out in very symbolic language. We are looking through our flawed lens, and we are looking through a lens of our, of, our, of our current reality. Some of us may be more right than we are wrong, but all of us have a portion of it wrong. All we have to do is look at Jesus, and Jewish faith is waiting for the Messiah. Jesus comes. Many of them look right past him. No, the Messiah is going to be different than him. They look right past him. Those who are walking with them on the daily are misunderstanding what he's teaching them and what he's telling them. They're expecting him to become king, to take over. Instead, he hangs on the cross and he dies. They're like, for the last three years, he, we missed it. How, how did this happen? What? And, they, and they, they look back like, oh yeah, he said right here, I'm going to die, I'll rebuild the temple of the tree. Okay, he said it again here, he said it again here, he said it again here, he said it again here. Huh. How do we miss all that? They were looking through their lens and through their bias. We could be doing the same. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24, verse number 36. No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. So he's saying, I don't even know. I don't even know at that point when he was here on earth how these end time moments will live out. Only the Father knows. Does Jesus know now? We're not sure. Um, uh, but um, at, at certainly at this point he didn't. And there's a possibility that he still does not know. That at one moment, God the Father will say, all right, it's time. 
Now, I want to talk about some things that we do know. There are some things in Scripture that we can look at and understand. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This was written by Paul, and he was writing to the church in the city of Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And you can put the, um, yeah, we're going to start to read this. It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly for us. Even if they set up a fake fake book account, a fake Facebook account, don't believe them. It's not us. It's not from us. Don't send them any money. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. From this passage of scripture, there are three things that we, that we understand, and I would say that most agree on. So no one probably agrees about everything 100%, uh, except maybe the second coming, but even then I think there are probably some Christians who, who don't understand that. But verse number one, what do we know? What do we know? What do most of us agree on? Verse number one, Jesus is going to return. He said it himself multiple times. It's recorded in various places in Scripture by, by you, you know, by not just Paul, but by other authors. And the author of Hebrews wrote this in chapter 9, verse number 28. So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. What does that say next? He will come again. Not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly, who are eagerly waiting for him. He will come again. And this moment of the second coming is something that we are so excited about. It's not anything we fear. It's not anything that we mourn. It's not anything that, um, that we have any other reason uh, but to celebrate and to worship and to cheer for and to pray for that it would happen, that it would happen soon and that we labor for that we are deliberately helping the return of Jesus. The second thing is also found in verse number one. The church will be with Jesus. Now, 
when, in what order. I think there's different beliefs and, and opinions about that. But we all agree we're going to be with him. We're going to be gathered to be with him again, which is what verse number one said. Now in John chapter 14, verse number two, I want to share with you something that Jesus wrote. He said, there's more than enough room in my father's house. He's talking about heaven. If, there's, if this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to go and prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you. So you will always be with me where I am. So church, we think about last week, these light and momentary afflictions that we face. Persecution for following Jesus, difficulties we have because of our, because we've given him our life and we're citizens of heaven before citizens of any country or political party, or philosophy. And when we face those persecutions and we face those difficulties, we're reminded in this scripture, we will be with him. We will be with him. The third thing here in this scripture is in verse number four. Will you pull up verse number four for me? Talking about um, this scripture is talking about one that uh, scripture refers elsewhere, and you've probably heard before, the Antichrist. All right? It sounds much more spooky because of pop culture than it really is, but it's one who set himself up uh, you know, he's, a, he's an opposite of Jesus. He sets himself up. He's got spiritual power. He's got authority. The world follows him. Many believe, begin to believe initially that he is God, but he's not. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. So let's talk about this, all right? Many believe that the temple will be rebuilt from this scripture and a, and, a few, and a few others. If you travel to Israel right now and you go to Jerusalem, you'll discover the temple is not there. In the year 70 AD, it was destroyed by the Romans, and uh, a lot of the ruins of that destruction are still there. You can, you can walk up and see where they... Where they threw over huge uh, rocks, you know, the length of the stage, and toppled them over. And you can see that destruction. And there is no temple there anymore. They took down every stone of it. But how will this take place? How will someone sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God if there is not yet a temple? So this is one of the things that we look for as a major sign of when we are now going to be moving at a fast pace. And earlier in the message when I said, you know, when everything was going on a couple years ago and begin to ask, like, is this it? Are you, you know, are we ready? And I said, at any moment, 
if we, find, we could turn on the news and find out that Jewish people have made a, a sacrifice, they, they have taken over the temple area, and they've begun to worship God there again at any moment it could happen. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 24 as well. He said, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, standing in the holy place. And then this, this parenthesis, that's not for me, that's in scripture. Reader, pay attention. The apostle John saying, hey, make sure your eyes are open to this. Make sure you're watching out for this. The temple will be rebuilt. As we talk about predictive text and we don't know what we don't know, the one thing we do know, there's no third temple. The temple was built originally by Solomon. It was destroyed. It was rebuilt again. And that second temple was destroyed by the Romans. And now there is not a third temple, but there is major activity over the last three decades for the third temple. So there's a couple of organizations, the, the, the largest one being called the Temple Institute, which is in Jerusalem, and you can go, and I've been there to, um, to uh, kind of their showroom, uh, kind of the, the Temple Institute, kind of one part museum, one part education. Um, but over the last 30 years, they've been doing many different things to prepare for the third temple, to prepare for the third temple. So everything's been lost over the last uh, nearly 2,000 years. All, if you read through the Old Testament, you find out every specific thing that was needed in worship, every specific thing that was needed, the order of things for worship, for sacrifice, for ceremonial uh, cleansings, all of those different things, and they've been establishing all of that. Now, one of the things that we maybe don't realize is the desire of the Jewish people and their prayers for the temple to be rebuilt. In the Jewish faith, there are 613 different laws that they follow. Um, and 202 of those laws cannot be followed without a temple. So their desire to follow God with strict diligence and obedience, they can't do that without the temple. Now, I want to show you a picture here of the Western Wall. I'll just give you this, a quick teaching. So this Western Wall here, um, you know, this is where you see people praying. You see people uh, writing down prayers and stuffing it in the cracks of the building. Um, through these doors, there's a door right here. Through these doors is a place to study. And it's kind of a library. But a lot of people think that this Western Wall is a holy place for the Jewish faith. And, um, and it's special to them. But it's not actually true. The reason 
that the Jewish people gather here at the Western Wall is because that's the closest place they can get to, to the Temple Rock, which is sitting underneath this mosque. And right where this mosque is, in 70 AD, was a huge temple that was destroyed. And in the 700s, the Muslim faith built this mosque here over the site of where the temple was. As an American citizen, you can go, depending on the time of the year, you can go in and you can tour the top of, of this temple area. You can, you can see it. A Jewish person cannot. They will not be allowed up there. And so this is the closest place they can get to to worship God where they're supposed to. Where according to the Torah, they need to be gathering and worshiping. That is why they gather here every Friday night during their Sabbath. That is why they pray here and study here because it is as close as they can get to where they need to. Now, they're... The Temple Institute, they've done so many different things over the last 30 years to be ready, and they've, you can visit and see the golden menorah, the seven-branch candelabra that they've, that they've created, that you can, you can see. They've created all of the, the things like the silver trumpets, the lyres, and the harps that are to be used in worship. They have also been training um, DNA-tested people to perform the temple duties. So they have a school teaching people how to perform all these things. And the priest has to be from the tribe of Levi. So they're DNA-testing people to make sure that they have... And so they have uh, many men in these trainings. And one of the things over the last 2,000 years that's kind of been a problem is that they're... According to Scripture, there is, um, in order to purify the temple, in order to consecrate the temple, or to um, uh, to cleanse the temple, to make to 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 um, dedicate it, there's a portion of Scripture that's kind of been stuck in the way, and it's in Numbers chapter 19, verses one and two, and then verse number 10. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron. This is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish, and then it has never been under a yoke. Verse number 10, this will be a lasting ordinance both for the Israelites and for the foreigners residing among them. That for the temple, the third temple, to be opened, there has to be a ceremony involving a red heifer, a red cow, that uh, has never been bred. Heifer is a cow that's never been bred. It has to be uh, part of the ceremony to dedicate the temple to the Lord. Now, the, this is something that they've been trying to do, but unsuccessfully, because the requirements for a red heifer, um, first it has to be absolutely perfect in redness. Uh, and for a red heifer to be certified, they inspect literally every hair. And if it has more than two hairs on its body that are not red, it's disqualified. Even its hooves must be red. It has to be three or four years old, and though older animals could be used, younger animals could be not. 
can't have, it has to be free of any kind of internal or external defect or blemish. So if it's got husky eyes, one red and one, or one blue and one black, can't work. And it cannot have been used for any type of physical labor. It must never have been placed under a yoke, not even once. And so they've been trying to do this. And in 1997, they kind of had one, and, and it, it didn't qualify. In 2002, they almost had another one. It didn't qualify. And I don't know if you ever paid. Maybe you even saw this when you were scrolling but had no idea what it meant, and you scrolled past it. But for the first time in 2,000 years, um, la- was it la- last month or the end of August, um, uh, five red heifers were certified in Texas and flown to Israel. And so for the first time in 5,000 years now, there's five certified red heifers. For the first time in 2,000 years, five red heifers in Israel. That's a pretty important thing. That they have all of the materials they need. They have priests to... Um, to lead the ceremonies at the temple, and now they have kind of the one thing that seemed like they couldn't get. Now they have five of them to be able to open the temple. What does this all mean? Again, we don't know what we don't know, but we look at everything happening in the world, everything happening in Scripture. Scripture has these predictive texts showing us What's going to happen? And we can begin to see that these things could be happening right here, right now, while we're alive. We could be seeing these moments, these final moments, where soon Jesus could be coming again. At any moment, at any hour, it could happen. Now here, if you've got questions, you can text me. We've got a few weeks to lay this out, and, and, I, I, and I'm just, you know, we're just getting started trying to, trying to lay a framework. Like, there's some things that we know have to happen, and they are happening. Well, I want to kind of end our time with this, all right? There are some people who... They don't follow Jesus, they follow end times superstition. They don't follow Jesus, they follow end times predictions. And that's all they do. Uh, And we need less prophets and we need more laborers. The, The point of our message and this point of the series is not to geek out and get in our all our small groups and make predictions and share our theories. That's not the the point of the message. The point of this message is for us to say, oh, the time is short. Who do I need to share my testimony with? Oh, the time is short. Who's yet to hear the good news of Jesus? Oh, the time is short. Jesus, what do you want to do with my life? What do you need me to do? And to be obedient to him. To do what he calls us to do to be diligent about praying for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and to be committed to him in holiness and purity and consecration and obedience to follow him through it all. You close your eyes, let me pray for you.
Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. And one of the reasons that you've put this in your word, you put this in scripture, is because you don't want us to neglect you. You do not want us to neglect your will. You do not want us to become to become stagnant, to become forgetful, to become lazy about your call on our life and your mission for your church. There's lots to speculate about Jesus. There's, it can be a lot of fun to think it through, to wonder, to make guesses. But we know you are real. We know you will return. We know eternity is real. There is a judgment. There is a finality to this present age. And there's a great age to come. A great eternity to come where there's no sickness, no, sh- no sorrow, no pain, no death. And we look forward to that great day. Jesus, for anybody in here who's never made a decision to follow you, we just, we just ask that you'd speak to them. And right now in their heart, they make that decision to follow you. And they begin to, they can express it to you very simply. Jesus, I give you my life today. I give you my heart. Forgive my sins and be my God. And Jesus, as they pray that, you forgive them, you transform them, you indwell them, and supernaturally, they start a brand new life. Jesus, we praise you, and we lift up your name. Amen.